0: Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the your the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. Netsuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one slash James netsuite.com slash James this is a big year the Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary 50 years of excitement of growing jackpots and crossed fingers 50 years of funding for schools of changed
1: lives and brightened days 50 years of fun And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet.
0: Learn more at funturns50.com. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show.
1: Today on the James Altucher Show. When something is dire enough, we as a human race can change quite rapidly. And what I say to people oftentimes is if you're passionate about something that could become a business, then rather than getting so overwhelmed with the business plan and raising money and getting the perfect logo and all of these things, just start doing it and see if people respond. And that's exactly what happened to Tom's. What really caused Tom's to be what Tom's became was the giving model, because that was totally radical. No one had ever done that. The fact that we gave a pair every time we sold a pair really resonated with people in 2006 when we started. And that's what caused it to have the phenomenal growth
0: that it did. Do you think that model works as a business model in general, or was it unique to Tom's? This is a great episode with the founder of Tom's Shoes. That's the company that if you buy a shoe, they give one shoe for charity. I'm wearing my special Marvel Comics edition of Tom's Shoes right now. We also talk about Blake's new company. Blake was very successful with Tom's Shoes, made a lot of money. He talks about entrepreneurship, how he started a shoe company with no money and no experience in shoes, how he makes decisions now. I learned a lot about entrepreneurship and the world from this guy also i just want to mention the way this podcast is structured blake was a guest on my instagram live q a some of the questions came from the audience i hope you enjoy it here we go so uh is it okay if I ask you about Tom's shoes though? And then we'll talk about Naples. Yeah. So I I'm gonna, I'm gonna move because I had that backlight. So I'm going to get a better
1: situation here for us. I'm new to this IGTV stuff. I think this will be a little bit cleaner. Oh yeah. That's better. I think, okay. I cool. think Very everyone
0: great. in the world is new to everything video in the past nine or 10 yeah. weeks. So we forgive you. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's amazingly intimate. I mean, I feel like
1: I'm right there with you guys right now. And, uh, I, I really, I appreciate this medium. I think that even post, post quarantine, um, I think this is a, I hope, I hope some of this sticks because I think it's uh, and it's so much better on the environment, right? Than me getting on a plane and flying to you and all the carbon emissions that I re- require to do that. So it's, it's efficient. I feel like it's still very intimate and uh, we can reach a lot of people and help it, people, you know, uh, live their best life.
0: It's so true. Like we used to do all of our podcasts in person and I realize this is actually so much better because like you say, it saves on transportation time and costs. It's, it's easier for me to take notes. It's easier for me to connect with a lot more people during the day. And uh, I think this is the way to go. And like you say, it's good for the environment. It's amazing how within 10 weeks, it seems like we've cured the environment uh, just from stay- being locked at home. We'll see if it sticks. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, it's it's fascinating uh, how much can change. I think, if you know, I don't know if this is the first of many of these experiences in our lifetime or in future lifetimes, but it definitely feels like this was a very important, uh, you know, example that when something is dire enough, we as a human race can change
0: quite rapidly. Um, And so hopefully um, we'll apply that. Blake, let me ask you this. In the beginning of this quarantine, we all thought this would maybe be this great unifying event. Like this is the first time the entire human species has unified together to fight a common enemy or to progress a common goal. But it, it seems to have degenerated into polarization all over the place. What, what do you think is the net effect of this societally other than the health effects?
1: You know, I think that it's easy to get caught up in the polarization because that's what the media um, wants you to kind of pay attention to. And then therefore they keep your attention and then they sell more advertising. Um, And so I I think the reality is the way that the media and, and that we are feeling the polarization is probably stronger than what is in reality. I think that, you know, there are a lot of people that have been unified, maybe not across political divides, but definitely within just their families. I mean, the amount of parents that have deeply connected to their kids, both young kids and even old kids that came back home that were living out of the house um, is really profound. I mean, the strength of the, of the family structure we know is such a critical part of uh, the strength of our, our culture at large. And so I think there's a lot of unification that has happened um, and, and I think over time, if we don't lose some of the lessons and the importance of this connectivity, and that's one of the things that we talk a lot about with Made For, how important human connection is, whether it's done virtually like this or in person, you know, all the research shows in terms of longevity and well-being that having more uh, you know, really authentic, intimate, important connections in your life is key. And I think that has in an odd way happened, even though we've been social distancing.
0: Well, actually, Ben, this is relates to one of my favorite questions. How many friends do you think someone needs to have? Or what's the ideal number? And I know everyone's different, but if you were to guess yeah. one number.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, I can just say for my life, you know, I probably have 20 what I would call very, very close friends that I would almost—I sh- would share any intimate detail of my life with—and that's a lot, I think. Like I think that's that's much more than most people. I think, based on my lifestyle and my experiences, um, it has created a lot of intense experiences in my life, and I think intensity creates a deeper bond and friendship. So, starting companies, having children—you know—these types of things. Um, and then I probably have 100, what I would say, friends uh, that, are, that are people that I could reach out to and get a text message from at any minute and have a great conversation with. Um, but if, if, those, if those 100 fell off and I only had the 20, I think my state of mental health and well-being
0: would be just the same. So, so I want to go back a little in time. 2006, you began this adventure that showed people that social entrepreneurship could both be charitable and profitable and wealth generating but what it makes me really curious is you've come out and said that you didn't know anything about how to make shoes you had five thousand dollars in the bank and then you started this you know shoe and clothing empire that became immensely charitable uh and we'll, we'll talk about that but how did you how, probably people were telling you at the time blake you can't do this you don't know anything about shoes Leave that to Phil Knight at, at Nike. Don't be an idiot. Like, how did you get over that and 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 then start Tom's? I think that
1: you know the answer to that question is is very really parlays into advice that I give to all entrepreneurs or people thinking about starting a business, and that is, I wasn't thinking about being Nike or being even Tom's what Tom's is today. Like, I met some children in Argentina that needed shoes. I discovered a shoe that was really cool that people were making like in their garages in Argentina. And I thought this would be a cool project. I could take these shoes back to Venice, California, where I live. I could sell them to friends and family. And every time I sell a pair, I'll make sure that we give a pair to one of these kids that need them. And I was, you know, I did the whole thing with, like you said, 5,000 bucks to start. And it was just a project. It wasn't a new company. We didn't have a business account. We didn't have Like a dba yet i mean it was it was not even incorporated it was just like a project and and what i say to people oftentimes is if you're passionate about something that could become a business then rather than getting so overwhelmed with the business plan and raising money and getting the perfect logo and all these things just start doing it and see if people respond um and that's exactly what happened with tom's i mean i had a couple hundred pairs in a duffel bag that i brought back from argentina that we made in the guy's garage you know, and and, um, you know, one of the people that ended up buying the first pairs was the fashion writer of the L.A. Times. And then she wrote an article and then it kind of all just exploded and began the, the craziest ride of my life. I mean, Tom's is the fastest growing shoe company in the world for four years. Um, and so um, it, 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 it went pretty fast, pretty
0: quick. Um, what, what's, but, what's the key ingredient in creating a good sh- shoe? that people want to buy? Is it is it a commodity and it's just branding after that? Like, you know, the way the LA writer- You know, I,
1: I actually don't have the answer to that question and I can prove that I don't because it's been very hard for Toms to grow much since 2012. <laughs> um, so for the last, you know, the first, the first six years, we were like a rocket ship, you know, that could do no wrong. And then in 2012, it's still a massive business, hundreds of millions of dollars in sales every year and tens of millions of shoes given but we haven't been able to really figure out how to make another shoe that's as popular as our original shoe, which everyone knows us for, which we call the Alpargata. So I don't really know much about designing the perfect shoe. I just think what I had was a very unique shoe that I discovered. And I think I had some innate talent in spotting something that wasn't you know, pre- prevalent in the US and in the international markets that I thought had appeal just from a style standpoint. So I guess I got kind of lucky and right there. Um, But this shoe had been around for hundreds of years already. So it's not like, I mean, this is like, this shoe is like as old as the Hirachi in Mexico. I mean, this shoe is what farmers have been wearing in South America for generations. So it wasn't like I really created something. Now I improved a lot on it. I gave it a different bottom unit. I gave it a different insole. I gave it different colors and patterns, but yeah, so I think what was what really caused Tom's to be what Tom's became was the giving model, because that was totally radical. No one had ever done that. Um, the fact that we gave a pair every time we sold a pair um, just, you know, really resonated with people in 2006 when we started. And that's what caused it to have the phenomenal growth that it did.
0: Right, and so now you've, you've given away over 100 million shoes, you expanded the giving or, or, you know, Tom's, the company expanded the giving to helping um, people who were losing their vision, who had lost their vision. You've restored sight to tons of people all around the world. You provided clean water to villages all over the world. Like, has there ever been a point where people were saying to you, whoa, you know, Blake, maybe we should, Tom should save some of this money for a rainy day. No, because thankfully it was
1: built in from day one. I mean, that's of all the things that I'm really grateful for is that, you know, because we started as philanthropic projects and didn't have investors and didn't have this business model um, that was dependent on a certain amount of profitability, we've always been able to stay uh, true to that. And so, um, you know, there's the, it's built into the model. And so um, that's what allows a way to protect the giving model. Um, you know, Tom's has I no. I'm I should say this. I'm no longer involved in Tom's. I'm 100 percent focused on made for now. I have no ownership in Tom's anymore. I sold it to a group uh, a few years ago. Um, but and they have they have actually recently responded to shifting a lot of their giving towards first responders for COVID-19. Um, because they felt that that was more important than shoes at this time, which I, I totally endorse, and I think our, our customers do too. So spiritually, I'm still very connected to Tom's, but I have no involvement at all on any of the day-to-day decisions.
0: And so a lot of people are, are asking on the on the live stream here, I know the answer, but I'll let you explain. Why is it called Tom's? And And by the way, I don't like your answer very much, but go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, well, um so
1: when I when I had the idea, I was sitting on a on a farm in Argentina and I said to my friend, I said, "Okay, if we sell a pair of shoes today, we'll give away a pair tomorrow." And let's call them tomorrow shoes and the tagline was "Shoes for a better tomorrow." Um and so when we made the first pairs in this guy's garage, we realized we had to put our name on the shoe at some point to brand it. And tomorrow's was way too long for the back of the shoe. And so we shortened it to Tom's and people call me Tom ever since.
0: Oh, okay, because I, I, now I understand because at first I read uh, it, you wanted to choose for a better tomorrow, but you shortened that to Tom's and that didn't make sense to me. Now it makes sense. <laughs> so so Got it. what companies do you think followed your path And again, maybe some might have followed it in a profit-oriented way, but some might have been inspired by the the charitable aspect. So after you started Tom's in 2006, did you see other companies following the model of buy this and we'll give to charity? Do you think that model works as a business model in general or was it unique to Tom's?
1: No, I think if it works with a high margin product. I mean, I think Warby Parker is a great example. The eyewear company It's another, you know, type of product that has a high margin that they can afford to give one away Um, every time they sell it. I think, you know, there have been there have been other companies as well. I don't think it works for every business, but I do think if you have a, a product that people are buying for themselves and at the same time kind of know from an ethical standpoint that there's people in the world that need this product, that can't afford it. Then I think emotionally, the one for one model can really work as long as you have a product that has
0: enough margin that you can afford to do that. And, and uh you know and this will lead into your new company uh made for, made for, but in terms of uh you know right now we 're in this these lockdowns you know the the government stimulus is helping out people who have been you know economically shattered by by what 's been going on as well as health uh, shattered by what 's been going on and I always wonder it seems like this would have been an excellent opportunity for the community to help. Uh, not just the government, and I wonder if you see like people you know in the entrepreneurship world who are kind of helping out. You know, everybody's sort of just depending on these stimulus checks. But what about the? I don't want to call out anyone in particular, but like the, the billionaires of the world, they could have also been helping, and maybe they are with, you know, direct payments to employees or, you know, helping with food yeah. or water or whatever shortages are even happening in the U.S. right now. Do you think that is, is less than you would have hoped for?
1: You know, I I will say this. I have been um inspired and impressed that the, the the people that I do know that have immense resources are are doing a lot philanthropically. Um I mean, and I know myself personally, I there's 10 nonprofits that I didn't even know their names that now I've gotten intimately involved in and, and written some pretty big checks to. Um because Um, just this, this time is demanding that. So I think, you know, we're looking to the government, I think on the macro side for the stimulus packages to help businesses and things like that. But in terms of first, you know, first responders and really, I mean, we're where I I see a lot of it in my hometown of Jackson Hole, Wyoming is we have a lot of people who really live paycheck to paycheck and have no savings. And so they were just, you know, completely devastated by this. And so a lot of the help of the wealthy people in Jackson Hole is going to, know, really supporting our community. And so I've been I've been very impressed. I also think that in times like this, um, it's important to do things anonymously or very quietly from a philanthropic standpoint. I think, um, you know, there's a lot in every spiritual text, um, you know, most notably, you know, the Bible, it talks about, like, you know, the greatest way to give is to give anonymously um, because your reward is in the spirit, not in, you know, someone applauding you or patting you on the back. And so I think this has created opportunities for that. Now, not everyone has stepped up that I know, but there's a lot of people I know that have really stepped up uh, to help those who are struggling. And I think um, it's created a level of connectivity um, that is is really meaningful.
0: So let's talk about your your new business. It's it's recently launched. I don't know if it's good or bad that you launched six days before (laughs) a complete worldwide economic lockdown, but, uh, your co- the new company's called made for and it's basically uh, basically if you subscribe or if I'm a subscriber I get these boxes once a month which with uh, each box is a different subject like hydration or sleep or movement and it's all wellness related and you have a twenty one day challenge plus whatever gadgets or whatever it is I need per box to meet these twenty one day challenges and again it's all related to uh, wellness and finishing all 10 boxes and being a better person at at the end of it. Uh, Maybe, you know, I I know a little bit of a story, but what led to this and what results do you think people will, will start seeing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think first I'll just say is, you know, it's definitely not our intention to give you 10 things to add to your already very busy life. I mean, really Made For was created based on me and then you know, meeting my business partner Pat Dossett, um, really seeing that like modern living is just tough. It just kind of beats us up. I mean, being constantly digitally distracted, um, you kind of demands of multitasking from our employers. Um, you know, we're, we're we're sitting at our desk far more than we ever used to. We're constantly doing this on a on some type of device. I mean, it really from a physical and mental and even I would say spiritual perspective is kind of beating us up. And 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 I know personally, because after I sold Tom's and I uh, started, you know, kind of having more free time and thinking about what I wanted to do next, um, I kind of went into a state of mild depression and really experienced for the first time in my life, a lack of motivation, not sleeping well, feeling anxious all the time. And I mean, this is after I just sold my company for hundreds of millions of dollars. So, I mean, you would think if there's any time that society has told me that I'm going to feel great. It would be after that. But that didn't happen because in building Tom's and in other companies, I neglected a lot of these basic habits and practices that as humans, we really need to be integrating into our life in a seamless way so that we can be in a in a higher state of well-being. And so there's a lot of talk about wellness and there's so many wellness companies and I want to, I have nothing against them, but I want to be really clear that I don't really feel like what we've created is in a sense a wellness company. I think it is a way to help people kind of just get more control in their lives of their well-being. Now that might sound like a wellness company, but but the real truth is, is you know we spent a year meeting with the top scientists at Stanford and Harvard and all these universities, and really asking them a simple question of the people who are you know reporting levels of flourishing and well-being and, 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 and kind of high levels of happiness, whatever that means, what are the common things that they're all doing that you have been able to scientifically prove in a lab have a demonstrative effect on your life? And so we started with a very different premise of we're not looking to sell you a magic pill or a potion or a 21-day change-your-life promise. We just want to look at, like, what are the basic things that we all probably know, but if we learned a new way to actually integrate them in our life, would change our lives. And that's when we came up you know, with the, we found 10 things and there are things like hydration. Like it's amazing how many people don't even realize it, but they're chronically dehydrated. And our body is made of 70% water. And depending on where you live, how much physical activity, what type of food you eat, your need for water every day is very different. And it changes even as you age. And so we go into the science of hydration, not like, oh, drink this electrolyte water. I mean, that's kind of bullshit. It's really about like, what is the actual amount of water you need to drink based on your, your unique lifestyle? So we help you understand that. And then as a tool that you get in your kit that month, we designed a beautiful water bottle that helps you keep track of how much water you're drinking throughout the day So then you can make the correlation between I drank this many bottles and I feel like this, or I only drank this many bottles and I feel like that. And so over time, that's creating new kind of neuroplasticity in your mind and really making it easy for you to develop a much better hydration practice going forward. So we don't want you to have to ever think about, oh my God, I got to drink six bottles of water today. If that happens then we failed. what we really want is by changing your understanding and creating this new neural pathway by completing the challenge every day for 21 days, you'll just naturally grab water when you wake up in the morning instead of just your coffee first thing, or you'll naturally carry a water bottle with you to every meeting, you know? So it, it's, it's, that's the type of philosophy I'm made for. And so, and each one builds on itself. So after you, you know, maybe accomplish something that's relatively easy, then that gives you the growth mindset that then helps you learn something like how to integrate gratitude in your life. Now, that might sound really soft, but the truth is, is there's so much science around how you can integrate gratitude practices in a way that really insulate you from a lot of the trials and tribulations of life. And it really affects your mental health, it affects your sleep, it affects your relationships, everything. And so we really with made for what we do is we look at the physical, the mental, and what I call the purposeful, you could call it the spiritual, but I think it's more about asking yourself, what am I made for? What is my purpose? And there's so much science around having an understanding around what your kind of clear purpose is will help kind of um, leverage all these other habits. that we're, um, we're helping teaching you. So it's, I know that's a long description, but one of the things that's great about Made For is it's almost hard to classify what it is. Um, We can tell you, you know, it's a 10-month program, and each month you get a special kit in the mail, and it's completely analog. There's no digital apps because the science showed us that all the digital devices is really impeding your ability to learn new things and really change your habits and behaviors. But really what we're just trying to do is help people have more personal agency in their well-being. And that has proven to be incredibly relevant
0: during COVID-19. So are are you saying things like, uh, you know, a lot of people get the Apple Watch or Fitbit to see how many steps they walk in a day. Do you think that stuff is ultimately perhaps detrimental because we're outsourcing our awareness of our health to a device?
1: I do. Um, I think if you have to look to something outside of your own internal function to know how you're feeling, I think that's a problem. Um, Now, I do think that if a device helps create accountability and helps create kind of like the gamification of this, then there's some real value there. But if you ultimately are needing a device to tell you if you're sleeping well, you're eating well, you're moving, then you've kind of missed the whole point. And so we want to help bring that intuitive understanding into your life in a better way.
0: Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What does the box look like that helps you find what your purpose is? Like, I always am curious, you know, what is, what is the need for purpose? Is there one single purpose that people feel they have? Like what, How how does one take steps, even micro steps, to kind of aim them in the right direction of finding out what their purpose is?
1: Yeah, so one of the things, I mean, I guess there's a few answers or thoughts to your question. One of the ones I'll just jump on right away because it's something I firmly believe is I think um, your purposes are like almost like these karmic contracts that you have and you complete them and then you move on to another one. So I don't think most people, I think, don't necessarily have a purpose their whole life. When they first have kids, their number one purpose might be to keep this kid alive (laughs) and to like get them off to a a healthy start as a human. And that might be the most important. So I like to say purpose and priorities are kind of the same, um, and that demystifies it a little bit. Um, And so if you can align your energy to what is the biggest priority, that's oftentimes your purpose at that time. Uh, Now, you can have a mission for your life that is overarching, that you know, my my mission, for instance, is to live a courageous life with grace and moderation. And so, I think about everything is like, is this a courageous decision? And so, starting Tom's was courageous because you know, giving so radically had never been done. You know, but then also I have to be very careful because I'm an enthusiast and I get very excited and I overindulge in things. To always be thinking about moderation, so that affects. My work-life balance, it affects the foods that I eat. It affects everything. But that can be a mission. But going back to your question about purpose, that is really identifying as kind of what is the thing that you're orienting most of your time around. And the way, one of the ways that you can kind of reverse engineer into that is actually to start with something a little bit more fundamental, and that is what are your core values? Um, So like if I said right now, like what are the values that really you use as the, the bar, the litmus test to make all your decisions, and most people can answer that question, and so we take people through a series of exercises to initially help them just understand their values, and then we have some really kind of you know, interesting and unique ways through neuroscience to take you from values to purpose, and even if you want to get to mission, uh, we can take you all the way there as well. do you think,
0: think it a- kind of depends on? Oh, oh, sorry. I just wanted to ask. Like, yeah, do, do you think, it, as a society, we've lost track of values? Like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm looking at it with uh, rosy glasses. But if you go back a hundred years, I would say people would instantly reply, you know, their their faith, their family, their their children, their country, and you know that would be values. And now I don't think any of those would be the answer of the average person.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I, I don't think you're looking at it with rose-colored glasses. I definitely think while we've had great advances uh, in technology over time, uh, we have definitely lost a connection to uh, values and spirit. And it doesn't just go back to that time. I mean, I think it goes way, way back to you know, in this country at least, to our Native American culture and in the in the way that they lived and connected with the land and each other and the values they lived by. I mean that, I mean, I get goosebumps even thinking about it, how far we've come from um, the beautiful way that they lived. And so, yeah, I think, and this is, you know, and and look, I will say this, and this is why I'm putting all my energy and, I mean, you know, in Made For, and I think what's fun about starting a company now when you don't need to make any more money and you really don't have anything to prove to anyone is it is kind of like, it can be your most authentic um, desire. And so Made For, to me, the reason I'm so passionate about it Is And the reason why I'm putting so much energy, even though I have, you know, no no more money to make or no more things, I think, to prove, at least from an entrepreneur standpoint, is because I think we have to meet people where they are to get back to that state of human flourishing again. And so where we are today is, I mean, I can't, if I try to take people back to some, you know, um, very esoteric, very spiritual uh, connection to the land, connection to human. Uh, kind of philosophies of Native American living, that would, I would just, it would go right over people's heads, unfortunately, at this point. But if I can say, look, we all are dealing with digital distraction. We all are dealing with uh, the fact that there's more people taking sleep aids every night than ever in history because people just can't get a good night's sleep because of anxiety, because of too much caffeination, all these things. Like if I meet people where they are and help them improve their lives with these little habit interventions over time. Now they are more open to getting back to some of these key human values that I think we've lost. Does that make
0: sense? Yes, absolutely. So, so in like, maybe walk us through one of the boxes, like maybe the box related to finding purpose, uh, you know, what does that look like? What's in it? What might the challenge be? Yeah. Are you going to update that every year for new boxes?
1: no. So, okay. So there's a couple of things also that I, you know, like like, said, I, it's really fun about starting a business when, you know, making money is not the priority. Like there is, this is not a subscription thing. Like we are not here to sell you more and more shit year after year. Like it's a 10 month program, 75 bucks a month. And then when you're done, you're done. There is nothing else to buy from us. Um, you know, so we really want to give people what science has shown us, are the 10 things. It's funny. We started the company thinking it was going to be 12 months, you know, there's 12 months in the year. There's the 12 step product, you know, like we couldn't find 12. We could only find 10 things that we really believe would have a demonstrative effect on your life. And so there is no um, additional things. It's these 10 things. And I think the best box to explain, um, you know, because it's, it's, I think so clear and we've already started talking about it is for instance, the hydration one. So. In the hydration month, you might think, "Gosh, you're gonna tell me to drink more water, and I just paid seventy five bucks for that. That sounds crazy, you know." So the thing is, is what's happening in that month is a couple of things. One, and this is in every month, you get first off, you get uh, a little book that takes about twenty five minutes to read, um, and and specifically, that book is all of the curated science, but written in a very I always use Malcolm Gladwell as an example. A lot of people have read his books. Like, it's written in a way that's very easy to understand. It uses you know, real stories, real anecdotes, uh, and I think it makes the science not only understandable but retainable, because it's through story. So that's the first thing in the box. The second thing is a tool that has specifically been designed to help you learn this new habit. Now, in the hydration, it's this beautiful water bottle. It's made of glass. With you know the silicone sleeve and these beads that help keep track of how much you're drinking during the month, um, so you get that that kind of tactile experience every time you drink a bottle, which then triggers something in your brain to say that was a good thing. I like moving this bead. I'm going to drink more water. Uh, and then the third thing you get in the box is a challenge card, which gives you kind of your challenges for the month to keep the accountability, and it gives you a little bracelet. Um, so I'm kind of like wearing. I'm wearing a couple different bracelets, but see if this little kind of see. Yeah, there you go. So it's a different color um, depending on the month that you're on. And that reminds you of what you're committed to that month. And then also if people ask you about it or whatever, then you can say, you know, that's the thing I'm working on this month. So, um, Sunny, someone just asked, does beer count as water? No, it does not. Um, <laughs> does, coffee so, uh, does, does coffee count as no, water? Does
0: coffee count as water? Because
1: there's water and coffee. Nothing counts as water, but water. Um, and we could talk much longer about that, and you can read it in the book as well, um, because that is, is sometimes misunderstood. Um, but so, the, the, so, so in each month, you get those three elements. Now, the one thing also um, that, is, um, that I will say is even though the entire program is analog, and you never have to engage digitally during the 10 months, we did find in the beta test, with th- we did 1,300 people over a year did the beta. And what we found, one of the components that was really critical that we could only find uh, a technological solution for was community and accountability. And so while many people are doing the program on their own, or maybe they're doing it with their husband or their wife or a good friend or colleague at work, one of the things that's important is being able to be part of a community if they want to be. So we don't require it, but we have these private Facebook groups for each class that all starts on the same day of the month. And then they can share their experiences, challenges, et cetera. And then myself and Pat, my partner, get on those groups, usually on Sunday nights, and we respond to people's questions and things that are going on. So that is a piece that we added that we feel is really important to have that community and accountability when you're trying to have habit change. Um, And so, you know, there's, I think in this next class, uh, this starts on June 1st. We have 600 people, 700 people going through it, you know. A subset of that will go on the Facebook group, um, and, and they'll do this together. And that's the other thing is we basically take sign-ups. I think today's the last day to sign up for the June class. Um, but basically, we take signups up until the 20th of every month, and then as many people sign up, they become a class together that starts the next month. So they go through the program together. And even though they're strangers, a lot of them become pretty close just through you know, the private Facebook group on sharing their experiences, which is really cool to see.
0: And why is each program or each month, is it a 21 day challenge? Like what's the, what's the secret of the 21 days? Yeah.
1: I mean, there, there has been a lot of, you know, talk and, and research around what it takes to form a habit in 21 days or 26 days. Sometimes is, is kind of the the magic number, um, you know? And so, you know, rather than saying uh, we found what we try to do in general with made for is give you the most, we call it the minimum effective dose or the minimum viable effort. So we try to give you the smallest thing that you can do that will have an effect on you. And so, you know, if we give you, a, even though the, there's typically 30 or 31 days in a month, if we told you you had to do it for 30 days and then you missed a couple of days, you would feel like you failed. But we found that the minimum viable um, number of days in a month to create a new habit is 21. And so that's why the challenges are 21.
0: I see, and so you know. By the way, um, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but one of your advisors, the Stanford neuroscientist Andrew Huberman, is a friend of mine. He's been on the podcast twice. Really smart oh, really? guy. Yeah, he was just on like yeah. last week.
1: No, Andrew. Oh yeah. So Andrew, yeah, he's the head of our our advisory board committee. He's an equity owner of Made4. Um, he's become a good friend, and he really was uh, and a really important person on this journey. You know, when Pat and I met. Pat's experience is very different than mine. He was a Navy SEAL for nine years. You know, very focused on human potential, uh, using the best of the best in research and science to you know um, to keep our country safe. And uh, and so when Pat and I met, it was this really unique combination of like this kind of hippy dippy entrepreneur and this like hardcore military you know SEAL. And I feel like Andrew's right in the middle of us. Um, and so when we met Andrew, he was the neuroscientist, like the we're kind of like the three legs of the stool and Andrew has been an incredible asset to the company and is helping us tweak it every day.
0: And while you've been going through these boxes and the, not only the development of the company, but I'm assuming you've been participating in these challenges. What do you feel you've most learned about yourself in the process? Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's interesting.
1: Like one, I've been doing, um, you know we I've been doing a lot of um you know different podcasts and things and some about made for and some just about you know business thought leadership during covid nineteen and the question that I you know regularly get is you know how are you doing and 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 what's keeping you feeling good or or sane or during this time and 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 without trying to like shamelessly promote made for, I'm like you know I spent the last year integrating these 10 fundamental things into my life. And they really are kind of insulating me from all the stress of, of this time, you know? And so what I found is, is that, you know, and what we would say with all of our members, you know, of the 10 things, you know, a few of them you're just gonna immediately click with, they're gonna become part of your life. You're never gonna even think about them again, um, unless you do some deep thought and they're just gonna be they're just gonna be part of your baseline. A couple of them you might not connect as much with, and that's totally fine. And then a couple are things you actively have to focus on, like almost a little bit kind of like for me, it's like working out. Like, I mean, I love to feel healthy, um, but like I kind of have to like set it in my schedule. If I don't say like I'm going to go for a run today or I'm going to do some yoga, then I just – it won't become my priority. I mean I just love being an entrepreneur. I love being a philanthropist. I love doing these things. And and so – some of them will be be a little bit harder than others. And so what I found for myself is, is like anything in life, it's just like, you know, don't, perfection is not the goal. Progress is. And I have seen a huge amount of progress in my own ability to uh, be in a positive mental state, positive physical state, feel like I'm working every day with a a clear purpose because I'm doing, you know, most of these things every day in a very kind of seamless way.
0: And so- when you see people going through the program now let's say let's say someone's going through a lot of troubles and strife right now maybe they don't have a job maybe they're even food insecure even right here in the US what do you think what do you think are the steps they can take whether they have your your program or not what simple steps can someone take to sort of move themselves out of the anxiety and uncertainty that exists right now and and you know knowing that you didn't have this period when you were planning the company? Sure. So I think the word simple is really
1: important. And then we should take a moment to focus on that. Because what I have found causes a lot of anxiety and stress is uncertainty. And we have a little bit more certainty today than we had, say, 30 days ago, but definitely 30, 45 days ago, there was astronomical amounts of uncertainty in people's lives, creating a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. So I think, you know, whether it's with the Made For program or not, and this is something that Made For is very much based on, is taking simple steps that can give you personal agency and your own well-being. And so not looking for a big silver bullet, not looking for someone to save you, not looking for some major new purpose in your life to inspire you, but just basic, simple things, small things end up having, you know, very big results. Um, And so I think that my advice to people would be is like, look at the things that you actually can control every day, you know, and focus on those small things and build some momentum at the beginning of your day that carries you through the day and hopefully insulates you some from the success, from the stress and the anxiety and the uncertainty.
0: And, you know, for you, what would you say right now is, you know, you mentioned before how you're scheduling time, to work out, you're always excited about entrepreneurship. Are there any sort of unobvious habits or routines you've developed through this that now have become consistently part of your daily routine? You know, things that surprised you even.
1: I think the biggest thing is we have a whole month that is focused on uh, the importance of optimizing your sleep. Um, And that sounds very simple, um, but there are you know, some interventions that we give you during the month, um, you know, with a physical tool and with some of the science and with some suggestions of how you prepare for your sleep and how you wake up. And I would say that has surprised me how much, um, how actually easy it was to go from not doing any of that to doing it. So that's the first thing, which is good news, is that what, you know, it is, you know, very quickly, you can kind of change your setup so that you can sleep better and then the second thing what really surprised me is just how much better i feel like i mean a good night's sleep is like a superpower and uh you know i have two young kids i have a very busy life um you know i mean it's it, it, you know getting a good night's sleep has proven to be uh one of the most beneficial things um not just during this time but just in my life in general it's something i'll never go back to not getting a good night's sleep i really prioritize it and i you know follow the protocols that, that made for taught me
0: and so, when you were first starting this company, you and and your co-founder Pat Dossett, you had an interesting conversation, which is you asked each other, if you had all the money in the world, uh, what would you do and that's how you kind of went back and forth and came up with this idea uh, you know what's t- tell me more about that founding story because I think that that question's interesting.
1: yeah yeah, so you know one of the things that both Pat and I are very um, you know, grateful for is, and going back to the question about friends, uh, is we have a group of, of, of guy friends, there's about 13 of us in the group, that every year we get together uh, and do a trip together. And um, the only time people ever miss this trip is if, you know, their wife is having a baby or there was a death in the family. I mean, it has to be a really significant life event to miss it. And we've been doing it for now, I think uh, this is our 12th year. And On this particular trip, we were surfing in Mexico, um, and after a surf session that evening, um, I posed the question to the group, which we always like to have like a thought-provoking question at night, and I asked that same question. I said, you know, if you didn't have to work for money, what would you do? And everyone went around different answers, and Pat's answer was very much aligned with what I was personally interested in because of the mild depression that I had gone through you know, in the years prior. And so I was interested in this idea of, you know, for my own self, like what are the steps I can take so that I don't feel that way again? Because once you've experienced any form of depression, it's I think for the rest of your life you hope that you never have it again. It's like that. It's kind of like that, you know, the crazy uncle that you don't want to show up at Christmas. I mean, it's just like it can it can come out of nowhere. And so I was very much on a personal quest to figure out what are the interventions, what are the practices, where are the habits that I could really ground my well-being in. And Pat, you know, was very interested in taking this knowledge to as many people as possible um, and specifically going to science instead of just looking to the latest fads or trends. And so it was originally Pat that met Andrew Huberman um, that really, I think, affected the trajectory of the whole philosophy of Made For. Um, But, you know, I think that question is an interesting one because, you know, if you have some time, which more people have today than ever before, uh, and you have um, the inclination, asking yourself some of these bigger questions can lead to creativity, new ideas, sense of purpose, and it very much did uh, in the founding of Made For.
0: And, you know, I want to I briefly cover, you know, you've, you've been making, um, you know, obviously you, you donate a lot. You're very philanthropic. Uh, You've also donated to research at Johns Hopkins uh, focused on the potential uh, medical and psychological benefits of, uh, you know, hallucinogenics and and things of that sort. Uh, Tell us a little about that. Like, what do you think is going to be the result of that?
1: I think we're in a very fascinating time uh, in culture and in medicine right now where, you know, we have a lot of people um, suffering from, you know, things like depression um you know um you know uh, ptsd um you know opioid addictions and uh, a lot of the pharmaceutical interventions are helping with some symptoms but proving to be less and less effective and i think that there has um already been and this is why i donated you know um in such a in such a magnitude to the founding of the um the research center at John Hopkins is there's already been incredible research to show that a single exam, you know, session with psilocybin can affect someone's long-term, you know, coping with depression or PTSD in a significant way. And so it's still very early in this, um, but um, but it's something that enough science has been done and there's been enough testing to, you know, I think get philanthropists like myself and, and others to, to really see this as a potential future, because we have to do something to address the, challenge, the mental health challenges we have. And while Made For is all about, it's almost like preemptive, right? Like Made For is about if you can get these baselines going, then you're hopefully going to be living in a higher state of flourishing and well-being so you don't even get close to some of these real mental illnesses. Now, when you get to the state of having the mental illness, and especially at the severe level that we're trying to treat, at the Hopkins Center, um, that's when you need bigger interventions. And I just don't have, I don't believe that pharmaceuticals are being as effective as they need to be. And that's where I think the plant medicines, um, specifically psilocybin and MDMA are the two ones that we are most working with, uh, have the possibilities to do that. And the great thing is, you know, with the psilocybin, it's, it's, a, it's a mushroom that grows in nature and, and uh, it's readily available and it can help people at a, at a very low cost.
0: And why do you think they were ever made illegal? I always wonder this.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, look, I've, I'm not the expert, but I've read enough of the history of this because of my, you know, philanthropy here. I mean, you know, I think what happened, um, you know, in the 60s and 70s, specifically with LSD, um, was it became a party drug. Um, it stopped being used in the therapeutic uh, form in which it were originally was used for. Um, and And it, you know caused a lot of people to create a lot of unrest, especially among politicians and and different people. And, and, and I just think it it scared people. And so, you know, it's, it's, unfortunately, I think the whole psychedelic field kind of got shut down with the focus on uh, what was happening with LSD. And, you know, I wasn't old enough to experience that then. So I can't comment on whether it was good or bad for society, what was happening with some of the kind of expanding consciousness that was coming from that. But, um, but I think it really was a political thing. And and because of that, the research really got kind of, you know, stopped for, you know, 20, 30 years. And just in the last 10 to 15 years, um, it's been, you know, legally allowed to study again and now to be researched in, in universities and whatnot.
0: And so someone, someone listening to this, you're, they're, they're gonna say, well, this guy's so entrepreneurial, you know, Tom Shoes was was great, and they combined that with Charity. Now he's doing Made For, which is, again, this positive thing to help people improve their lives. But also there's, you know, it's a company. It's, you know, you, you have partners and so on. And they're thinking to themselves, and even before this, you, you dropped out of SMU to start your first business, a, a, a laundry business. Then you started a billboard business in, uh, uh, I guess, Nashville. What What are some... Techniques or steps. Now, if someone wants to be a little bit more entrepreneurial, or they're a young guy, they don't have, or or a woman, they don't have money to their name. What's, what's some steps they could take to to get into that mindset, from your point of view? Yeah, you know, for me, for me, I think
1: almost all entrepreneurial ventures, whether they remain very small or become large like Tom's did, um, really start with identifying uh, a need. And, and and kind of a personal frustration, you know. I always like to use the example of uh, the software company TurboTax, um, which might sound odd, but like it was started because you know someone was like, "I'm sick of having to pay an accountant to do my taxes. Like I have a regular job; it's not that complex. Like and I hate paying taxes. Now I hate paying the guy to do my taxes. And so." you know, there should be a software that you could buy for 20 bucks that does my taxes every year. And, and that's why TurboTax became, you know, one of the biggest software companies in the world. So I I think what I advise and give to people is the people that I have seen that have either gone to college or not gone to college, but have said, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur first and then try to come up with a business idea. Very rarely are successful. The people that I have seen that be like, I really don't like paying someone to do my taxes. And there's a lot of people that don't like that. So I'm going to figure out a way to stop that from happening with software are very successful. So look at the problems, the frustrations, the things in your life that you feel should be better, should be different. And if something gets your attention and gets your passion so much, you will figure out how to start a business around it.
0: I I like how with Tom's, you, you what you were describing earlier is that you had a, just a couple hundred pairs of shoes and you sold them to friends and family and i like how sure you could start basically with just products in a backpack that you made cheaply and just grow from there like those seem to me like the best sorts of businesses as opposed to planning for five years and then starting something with huge costs behind it yeah. and so on
1: no i mean i think you know i think history shows that i mean i love reading biographies of entrepreneurs and how companies are started and almost all the ones that are household names start very humbly, you know, and I think, um, the ones that, you know, are kind of taking advantage of the venture capital in you know, a world and the excitement and all that, and just are interested in raising more money and more money. Oftentimes those businesses don't exist after a few years and they run out of their investment money. So I, I'm a big believer in, you know, even though I'm an active investor now, entrepreneurs every day, I come come to me with incredible business ideas. And I'm like, you should not take my money right now. Like, I know if I invest in this, I'm going to make some money. But like, you actually can do this without raising money, you'll own all of your company. And then later, if you need to raise money, you'll have a higher valuation. So I am a firm believer that if you have a good idea, and you can now sometimes there's businesses that just I mean, biotech and you know, things like these. I mean, they have to have a huge amount of capital to even prove the premise. But there's a lot of businesses out there that literally can be bootstrapped and prove the model before ever need to have some big, you know, big thought out business plan or raise a bunch of money. And so I I really love to encourage entrepreneurs to just try to, you know, like we did in the early days of Tom's, 200 pairs of shoes, two duffel bags, friends and family. and, And that's how it started.
0: And and what sort of industries are exciting you right now, particularly post-pandemic? Post, you know, we're kind of we're kind of heading towards this new normal. Uh, what yeah. what are you looking at, or what what excites you, other than of course your own business? I mean, I think before
1: the pandemic and even post-pandemic, I'm I'm
0: very interested in any
1: entrepreneur opportunities that have to do with. Clean energy. You know, I think that I mean, I think the writing is on the wall that we have to, uh, you know, you know, deal with um, what's going on in our climate. And I think that the governments are going to have to get more and more involved, and there's going to be more subsidies and more support for companies and things that reduce those carbon emissions. And so, anything that really helps, um, helps, helps, you know, kind of draw down what we're currently uh, doing to the environment, I think, is important. I think regenerative agriculture is fascinating. Um, I think you know there is um, a lot of books and even some films I know that are getting ready to come out that really show that a farmer, um, you know, can make a lot more money through a regenerative practice over time, and it's much much better for the environment. So, I think entrepreneurially, like if I was just starting out and I was like looking for something to dig deep into, I think that is a category. Now, post COVID nineteen, I think what's interesting is. You know, we're seeing that the only way you can truly have insulation from something like this is to have a very strong direct-to-consumer business, um, because people are still going to need to consume during a pandemic. They just aren't going to be able to come to your store, or there's a lot of things that are going to be, um, you know, kind of getting in the way between you and the customer. So having a business that direct deals directly with the customers, um, you know, is really important, and and I think it insulates you a little bit um, from this. Um, Now, obviously, supply chains and distribution models and things like that are still challenged during a pandemic. But I think just I've always thought having a D2C brand, whatever you do, is important. I mean, a huge part of Tom's shoe sales were directly online to our customers, not through retailers. Um, But more than ever, I think that's
0: important. Excellent. Well, uh, let me see if any of uh, if we if anybody has some questions. I'm seeing if uh, Jay, who's on there, has some questions for you. Um, oh, are you doing your manufacturing here in the U.S.? It's a great question.
1: Uh, no, I, I don't. Well, like I said, I don't have any day-to-day interaction with Tom, so I don't want to speak for their manufacturing. When well, I was or there, they did manufa- Oh, made for um Yes, yeah, some of the manufacturing is done in the U.S. and some of it is overseas. I don't know the exact percentage, but there is some of the tools and publications and stuff that are made here.
0: All right. Well, you know, Blake, thank you so much for joining the IG Live. Like I mentioned, this is going to be turned into a, a podcast as well. And I saw in the comments a lot of excitement about Made for. Uh, I think uh, I got sent a discount code, which everybody can use. Um, If you go to yes, please. If you go to for dot com, m a d e f o r getmadefor dot com, and you type in all capital letters M F James Altucher, then you get some discount unfortunately i've got 20 off i got this discount code right after i bought my full 10 month package but that's okay
1: <laughs> well thank you so much for having me on and uh i'm excited to see how your community responds and joins us on this journey
0: yeah excellent well thanks so much and I appreciate it